back to the blue line. Now to Matthews, left wing side, into the corner to Marner. Marner holds to Matthews, a shot scores! Austin Matthews on the board for the first time since back-to-back -back hat tricks in games one and two. And the Maple Leafs have blown this one open four to nothing. Fan Morning Show, Sports at 5-9 in the fan, Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Austin Matthews on the power play, scoring number seven this season. He also assisted, and boy, like there's secondary assists like Tyler Bertuzzi mm -hmm. got on yes. the John Tavares yes. tip, and then there's Austin Matthews with the primary assist, uh, capital P primary assist, with a rink-long pass to William Nylander, who deposits his fifth goal of the season, so only two back of, of Matthews, still riding a point streak uh, that has started at the beginning of this season. How about this, Brent? Mm. Since the start of last season, even strength scoring, Austin Matthews, 31 goals. That's pretty good. William Nylander, 36 goals oh, now. That's better. William Nylander, 66 points. Austin Matthews, 66 points. So, I mean... The, the 13 million I, bucks a year, you're saying? So... I'm not saying 13, but, like, I, I feel like... No, stop. Too many people are going to do this. I can't also throw the huge number for Nylander. You're right, though. Go ahead. I mean, the idea that double digits AAV is is something that's even debatable. I, I know it's only six games, but, like, clearly this is a guy who's hell-bent on having yet a, another career year after a four-goal season mm. a year ago. Like, that's that ship has sailed. Like, this guy's obviously getting at least $10 million a season. But, I mean, what is he thinking here? Like, this is a guy that... Cha-ching. No, no, but, like, like, how far does he want to push this thing? Because he, he mm. obviously wants to push it. Does he just want absolute top dollar? Does he want $11 million a year? Does he not look at at Mitch Marner and his almost 11 million AAV and, and John Tavares and his 11 million AAV and a guy that he's playing on the same line with who's also putting up similar mm -hmm. point totals. But clearly it's, it's Nylander that's driving the offense on that line. I mean, do we discount the idea that William Nylander wants north of eleven million per season? And if if the number is going to be that, mm -hmm. and and Brad Living said, I'm not going to to that territory before the season in negotiations. Is the decision making already done? Because it's it's it really it is very difficult to see the Maple Leafs getting any kind of discount. I think the way this is going to play out is that there's going to be a lot of talk about paying him in season. And I do wonder if Treliving is sitting there going, okay, let's, let's up the offer a little bit. I would like to get this done. I would like this player to be signed. But I think it's possible that he just continues to perform and the offer that the Leafs have is just not one that he thinks is the absolute top dollar he can get. I don't think that predicates him from coming back to Toronto. I think William Nylander is going to have a, sit, a decision to make that's pretty similar to the one John Tavares had to make when he decided to become a Toronto Maple Leaf. He is going to be far and away the crown jewel of free agency, and it's possible Stamkos is out there, and obviously those are two very different types of players, different types of pedigree, different windows they're in, all of that stuff. But Nylander is going to... I said this before everybody started getting snapped up. This is before a guy who's obviously below him, but Mark Scheifele signed his extension. Dubois signed his extension. They're just not the guys available in next year's class. So Nylander's going to have his choice. He can go have his whatever you deem the high dollar number to be, 11.5, whatever, 12 in San Jose or Arizona or wherever, or 
if you really want to be a Leaf, and this isn't to say massive hometown discount, but you got to make it fit. Because And the other part of this as well is if Nylander really, really wants to be a Leaf, and I can't see this being the way it goes, but Nylander's always been a confident guy who believes in himself. If he really wants to be a Leaf and get his top dollar, he has to sign a deal that takes him to the end of John Tavares' deal. And then they renegotiate almost as a tandem. Not that they would look at it that way, but if he wants the Tavares piece of the pie, because on Tavares' next deal, he's not making 11. Yeah. That's the way to do it. There's no way to do it on a now eight-year deal or seven-year deal or six-year deal. Not to say no way, but you just have to lose too many other pieces that matter. If he really wants to be a Leaf and get his top dollar, it's like, and again, this isn't happening, but it's a one-year deal and then going again when Tavares is up, like which, again, is not going to happen. So that's why I think Nylander is going to go to free agency. Yeah. The Leafs are going to have their standing offer that's kind of been there yeah. probably all along. <laughs> yeah. And it's just going to – he's going to decide, do I want to wear flops Roll to the rink the and dice. never play in a game that matters or yeah. do I want to be a Leaf? I mean, I don't know the man. If I was guessing, though, I'd say the flops thing does not sound all that – you know, out of the out of the realm, I don't of think it's out of the realm of, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility, but I think that people I think people undersell how much a guy like Nylander cares about things other than wearing flops to the rink. Like that is clearly a guy who, in my opinion, I mean the the, wants, the, the playoff uh, pedigree yes. would indicate that. Yes, and the other part of it as well is that you know what do we know about Nylander? He loves the limelight. Like, yeah. he loves it. Do you think it's going to feel as good doing that, going down the wing and doing that exact goal, having that exact goal he scored last night, scoring it 20 times a year on, again, sorry, San Jose, a putrid Sharks team, and he's wearing <laughs> teal jerseys? I imagine there that Nylander at 32 would feel that way, but at 28, in the peak of his prime, having, and again, hopefully this all changes this spring, but having never won anything, is he going to sign up for that? I don't know that he is. We always talk about the conversations he has with his dad. And get your money. Get your money. One, his dad was a different player than he was. His mm-hmm. dad had a career-high 26 goals, a couple times 25, so just a different type of player. And, you know, you look back on things as a different perspective. You know, even me, myself, I'm in my mid-30s here, and I look back at things and say, oh, wow, I wish I would have dealt that, that differently or I have a different set of values now. You know, everyone says about his dad of, oh, got to get the money and move around to get... You don't think there's a piece of him looking back on his career where, oh, you know, there was actually situation X that I was happy in and I probably should have tried to find a way to make it work. That's possible, too. There's only so many boats you can buy, right? I, I, although that's, you know, oh, God, it, I'm still, some for friends still and looking then they to race get, them. I'm still looking to get just one. Yeah. A canoe, maybe? <laughs> Paddleboard. Anyways, like how close are we at having the conversation? Hey, Tavares, Nylander, true number one line, this Leafs team. I mean... They have been the more consistently dominant line. Yes. But I, I say it push in comes jest, to shove. But like, Matthews is still the draw that stirs the drink for this least team. Yeah. And even when he was going through the pointless, uh, goalless drought there after game two, um, ending in yesterday's game, like there was dominant, dominant stretches of game. And he's being asked to do way more now playing on both special teams. So you, you, uh, you reminded me of this. I mentioned this, that I wanted to kind of talk about Matthews and the way he he is like a great football team in the way he can play hockey. So I, you know, I threw a couple of shekels down on the game last night. I had a little parlay of Matthews goal, Leafs covering the spread, and Matthews over four and a half shots. And when he scored the Leafs four, fourth goal on his first shot of the game, I said, oh, that prop is dead. Because if your team, if the Leafs are losing... He will go out there and have his 18 shot attempts or whatever it was he had against Chicago. But if they're not, 
he just turns into the Eagles and Jalen Hurts and goes, all right, we're just going to slow this game right down. Uh, it's going to be cycle in the corner all night long. It is going to be me being a big body in the offensive zone and just corralling the puck and holding on to it. And yeah, I'll shoot to score. But we're not just peppering the opposition with shots. That That is maybe the most remarkable or the understated thing about his game. We all talk about the shot and we talk about his two-way game, but it's the fact that even in the offensive zone, he can just play it any way you want him to. Yeah, so you can point at the the point to the shot discrepancy between the Leafs and the Capitals yesterday, and you're well within your rights to do that. And, and early on, it was the, yes, the Caps. very telling. Pe- uh, peppering Joseph Wall. But yeah, you're right. You got to talk about that third period, which is when you're up 4-1 on the road, that's exactly the way. It, it almost felt like runtime yes. in the third period. I was like, oh, the game. I honestly had the thought of looking up, and there was like 63 seconds left. And the game. It was, I was like, what? My my <laughs> wife and I were getting ready to put our kid to bed, and she looked at how much time was left in the game when there was six minutes left or whatever, going, okay, you know, sorry. Like, you're going to have to pause this. We'll come back down. And then the game was just over. Like, it's amazing. You're right. It did feel like runtime. Yeah, it did. Uh, man. Joseph Wall was great, and Ilya Samsonov has not been so great, and Ilya Samsonov is the $3.5 million cap hit, and uh, yeah. obviously, like, you know, Joseph Wall is not going to carry the mail as, like, an, an, an old-school number one. Maybe. I mean, you do have a guy with NHL experience in the in the AHL. This I'm saving this take. I'm just letting you know that it's, it's getting ready mm. to percolate around the deadline if this continues in this fashion. Oh, of like moving them out. Yeah. It's oh, a uh, nice little way to free up three and a half million. I love that. I'm happy you staked your claim on it. I've been pre-staking my claim that I don't ever want to have of Joseph Wall should have maybe trained this summer instead of walking around Switzerland. No, but, no, no, but no. Right now, everybody should go. Matthew should go back. He should go to Zurich in, in his summers, the way Joe Wall has been performing, if that's the secret sauce. We've talked so much about the ice time for the big boys last night. And part of the thing I kept coming back to was, well, yeah, when you're chasing the game or it's super tight and the bottom of the lineup hasn't proven itself, of course you're going to lean on your big boys. And Keith was able to take the gas off uh, a little bit for them last night. 1851 for Matthews, 18 minutes for Marner. But I think what's the most interesting part about that for me, and you know, I don't expect that it would be any different way, is that the five-on-five time is all that dropped. They're both still at over three minutes on the power play. They're both still at over two minutes on the penalty kill. So it was just a case of that of, okay, once the game gets a little safer, once we have it a little more in control, I don't have to burn these guys into the ground a la Nick Nurse. No, I'm I'm not surprised to see that. Like that was all. A, that was a situation that I think yeah was was brought on because of the circumstances that the Leafs found themselves in uh, in chasing the game, and it did look like they were going to be chasing the game at least by one goal early on. But a uh, nice challenge ends up uh, leaving it scoreless. Instead, they have back to back games in which they open the scoring, and they're four and two to start the season, which is a nice little start. And it hasn't been perfect. It's been little up and down, but boy, it could be a lot worse. You could be what's happening in Edmonton right now mm-hmm. with that Oilers team who lose 7-4 in Minnesota to the Wild. Six goals uh, against Jack Campbell. Connor shots. McDavid not back. I mean, they're not ruling him out for this weekend's Heritage Classic against the Flames, but 1-4-1 and for an Oilers team that's in the exact same competitive window as the Toronto Maple Leafs are, and and, and they're going to be in the playoffs. They'll figure it out. But like you rightly pointed out, it hasn't been fed accompli for that team to make the playoffs in the McDavid era where it has. Like that's the you can say that about the Matthews Leafs. They're going to be in the playoffs because they always are, even in year one. Well, and you know, it's just that that just deathly Pacific division that's been keep. No, that's not the reason either. <laughs> 
The Honestly, the most interesting thing to me, not about the Oilers start, but again, we've talked so much about the ice time that these guys have had. So no McDavid last night. Oilers are chasing the game. Yeah. Uh, they're also chasing their season, by the way. They are 11 points behind the Golden Knights for first place in that yeah. division. I don't know that anyone expected. I don't know how many people expected them to win. Golden Knights are a really solid team, but... I don't think they expected Edmonton to be 11 points out this early on, <laughs> but Dreisaitl yeah. only, you know, only in air quotes here, 22 38 in a game with no McDavid that the Oilers are losing, that they kind of need to have. And you need to stem the tide here. It just, it just, it's just interesting. You know, for, a, for all we talk about Sheldon Keefe and I, ah, you don't trust the bottom of that lineup. I don't know that, you know, you love everything the way it's set over there in Edmonton. Maybe it's a little better because of Nuge and they have a little more balance and depth there. But yeah, it's just that that jumped out to me is that Matthews and Marner have routinely been up around 24, 25. And even in that game, Dryside will still at only 22. Yeah, that is bizarre. 22, 38. Sorry. For Jay Woodcroft, who's not not on the hot seat. He's too busy swearing. (laughs) Yeah, he has been a guy that, yeah, in in post game media availabilities has indicated his displeasure with this team. You know, you get the feeling that despite the fact that it is factually early, that he doesn't feel necessarily that it's factually early. And it starts off with what the eight, one loss to the Canucks, the opening game of the season that, yeah, you would feel like there was a, there would be a little bit more urgency as far as ice time distribution. Not that you you need to win the Stanley cup in game six of the regular season, but yeah, it can get away from you pretty Quickly. Sorry, I just pulled up the numbers more. Of the 2238, 515 was on the power play yeah. for Dreisaitl. This has always been, and you know, we don't we don't need to get into NHL hot takery at, at this hour of the day or season, but this has always been a touch of my knock on Dreisaitl among the elite, 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 <laughs> is that such a power play merchant doesn't do all his damage at five on five. Not like that that Austin Matthews here Mm. here in Toronto. And it's just, I see the ice time discrepancy that way. And, you know, look, like he was 63% on his draws. There's a lot. Of course, you lovely on Dreisaitl as a player. But what does it say about him that the coach, I don't want to say trusts him that little because he played him the most. So obviously he trusts him a fair amount. But comparatively at five on five with kind of other stars in the league, especially losing your captain, losing your number one center. I don't know. Just a little, a little telling to me. Yeah. I, and it it is it's a it's an example of extremes here, right? Because that's how bad it can get in a Canadian market, you know, on a team with expectations. What's now taking place in Edmonton, yeah. having one win at this point oh, in the I season? Don't even, I don't even want to know what Jack Campbell said about himself after the game. Yeah, <laughs> right. Let's stay away from Actually, that. Actually, but like I'm going to stay away from it. But if someone in Edmonton could check on him, that'd be good for me. Yeah, maybe they're checking on Ilya Samsonov. Have a look at my potential trade. Free up three and a half million dollars in cap space. I mean, you probably have to it's free just up what the they, five million. That's what they need is to pay to, another yeah. former Leaf goalie. Yeah, exactly. And they hey, do it's love, cheaper than Jack. They love if you wore blue and white. Yes. Connor's like, get me that guy. Yeah. I'm, I can never play for them because they hired my agent as the president here, so I'm stuck forever. But get me all the former Leafs I can. Look at you, Connor Brown. All right, time now for something to chew on. Brought to you by Great. Canadian meets the Arizona Diamondbacks shocking the baseball world ending up in the World Series despite winning only 84 regular season games this season they took care of the Dodgers they took care of the Brewers they took care of the Phillies that's a surprise to me it's no more surprising than it was to Mad Dog Chris Russo 
I've been wrong in Arizona from day one. I, I, a, I'm stunned to beat Milwaukee. I thought they'd get swept by the Dodgers. I never thought they'd even go back to Philly for a game six. Uh, I'll try it one more time. I would not be stunned if they won tonight. I would be floored. Floored. And I'll say this right now. Just uh, I'll say this right now. And Bob Raceman, write it down. If they win the next two days, they win the next two games and win this series in seven games, if they win, I will I will retire on the spot. All right. So that was, that was Chris Mad Dog Russo on his Sirius XM show before game six, in which the Phillies had a chance to put the Diamondbacks in the dirt. They weren't able to do that in game six. They certainly weren't able to do it yesterday in game seven. And then the second part of that was the Diamondbacks celebrating after so the good. game yesterday because this was it was percolating during the game because Mad Dog was tweeting out he's like still sticking to what I said on the radio so <laughs> obviously Mad Dog is not actually gonna decide this is the the time that he's gonna wave goodbye like obviously it's but what does he do like just from a like an inside baseball radio mm-hmm. perspective Brent like you gotta milk this thing not that. Mad Dog needs another reason to have the 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 spotlight on him. Yes. But when you have this type of opportunity, you have to milk it. What do you do if you're if you're Mad Dog today? I think. Hmm. I wonder if it's like an ant, an, and I don't know what this other guy's doing. I should know, but do you do you like put Francesa in your spot for a day as like I'm retired, but look who's here. And then you come back and it's just like a funny bit. Like, I honestly, like I'm trying, because it has to be, you're right. It has to be something. You have to lean into it. You have to do something. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's the move. Do you just maybe reunite the two? Like, I know that this has been been done before. They've yeah, had yeah. their fallings out. I'm not going to pretend to know where they're at these days. But yeah, I know, that that's the first thing that jumps to my mind, honestly. What about yeah, you? No, I, I'm along the same thought process, but I would. You think you should do the show? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, listen, I wouldn't be adverse to it, but. I think what you do is you don't say anything. And, yeah, you have, like, Alana Rizzo or some somebody hosting the entire show today. Make no reference to oh, it I love whatsoever. It. And then it's like, is he? Yeah, like, is what? It, what? Yeah, and, and, like, the story continues for another day. It, like, And then you're just there to start the show the next day. <laughs> and, then, and then you treat it super serious. Like, you know, and you say, like, I, I did some soul searching. Like, I th- I thought about it. Do you go full Tom, Tom Brenneman? You say, I'm a man of faith. I'm a man of faith. I got a family. I got to take care Oh, Castellanos <laughs> with a deep drive. Or you have Tori Lovello on oh, to open your show that's today. Great. And you ask to for forgiveness. To reinstate you. That's that's. Ding, ding, ding. Right? Because they, they were calling for it. Lovello in his postgame. Yeah. You you just do a total mea culpa. That's good. You you go down on your knees, maybe even physically on your knees, because that's a show that's on television as well. He's and you a, have Toro. He's an older gentleman. I, yeah. don't, I don't know how long it's taking him to get back to the mic. I mean, is that is that not a viral moment? Mm, if it's that's if it's pretty Chris good. Mad Dog Russo, I don't know if he's ever done this honestly. Just said I was totally wrong, oh, and then and then just. The way it spirals with sports media, and I wouldn't even put it past Mad Dog doing this. It's like, then if the Diamondbacks lose in embarrassing fashion, we get to all do the thing of like, oh, they were soaking up the moment too much. Yeah. They weren't locked in. <laughs> yeah, we're you thinking got, too much about you Mad got Dog. The manager doing skits on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> it's perfect, actually, because this, I just get to play the result both sides. 
This needs to happen. Yeah. You don't have any pull. I don't have any pull. But we're going to speak it into the ether because it must happen. This is great. This is so much better than my, oh, Francesca's here idea. This is amazing. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what he does. But obviously, you can't waste this opportunity. No. You can't be like, wow, that was a my radio other, thing. Like, I say lots of things my, on the radio that I don't 100% agree with. My other idea, and I don't think his bosses at Sirius would love this, would be to just have him do the routine he laid out from his dream Saturday a couple weeks ago of making a stiff cocktail and yeah. eating half a gummy. Just do that to start the show, and maybe you'll get fired by the time it's all over. Mm-hmm. And then you would be retired. Maybe mm-hmm. that's the way to go about it. Not actually. What's the most certain you've ever been? Like, we We've given predictions of, and uh, you and I are both mac- massive capital C cowards that would never, ever say, I'll retire after this. But, like, what's the most certain? Do you feel like you've come to the mic so certain that something's going to happen? I mean, I do a lot of must-win games, but that's not like putting myself no, you're just, on the line. You're, you're putting expectations on other people saying, come through for me, please. Uh, I'll say this. Mm. If the Raptors don't win tonight against no, the Minnesota no, no. Timberwolves... <laughs> I will retire. Oh man! Uh, like I will go to sleep. Like I will. I will. Yeah, I will retire, retire to, to my your, quarters, to your chambers, <laughs> <laughs> and then drag your butt in here for six o'clock tomorrow. Yeah. I was gonna say, who are they getting in here with me? If that's yeah. no, please don't do that. No, I won't do that. No, no, I've 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 never been nearly as certain of any. Like, and also, like, I, Mad Dog knows baseball. So yeah, again. This is, I, I appreciate the Mad Dog Russo of it all, understanding exactly what he was doing in that moment. But this is a guy that knows, it's like baseball, weird stuff happens. Yeah, of course, he knows. Yeah, and, and two baseball games, the inferior team can win. He knew it was a distinct possibility. Yeah, so, he didn't say I'll retire, like in, in April, he didn't say I'll retire if the Diamondbacks oh, win a, 100 games. Maybe he'll, yeah, he'll he'll get into the semantics of it all. It's like, yeah, I'll retire. Like, I, you think I'm going to do this forever? One day. <laughs> As I say, the sweet relief of death, and it'll come for all of us one day. All right, when we come back, uh, Michael Grange is uh, going to join us. As oh, it'll we get be our set. pleasure. It, it absolutely will. Uh as we get set for game one of 82 for this Raptors team that is in a kind of a swing point in the history of that franchise. That's next. The Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Dive deep into Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Raptors, Timberwolves, Scotiabank Arena, Sportsnet, 590 The Fan, and Sportsnet. As this Raptors team is at an interesting point in their development. They were a 500 team right on the nose last year, 41 and 41, and then missed all the free throws in the play-in tournament game, and then uh, they departed. Yeah. Uh, And then they lost their point guard for nothing. Mm -hmm. Fred Van Vliet. That happened. Signed a ginormous deal in Houston with the Rockets. They replaced him with a guy that that won a gold medal at the the World Championships of basketball and Dennis Schroeder, so that's that's nice and good. But he ain't no Fred Van Vliet. Uh, they have a first round pick in, in Grady Dick, who could be a factor, but it's hard to imagine that happening early on in the season. And there's room for growth with with Scotty Barnes, and they got a new head coach. But it's 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 yeah, the rubber's got to meet the road here when it when it comes to the decision making around Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi, who are free agents. 
uh, at the end of this season. Let's talk to Michael Grange, Sportsnet's own, getting ready for game one of 82 tonight. How's it going, Michael? I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well. How are you guys? Doing, doing, doing well. I, I keep, I kept calling the first day of the NBA season opening day, and I got, I got, I got slapped <laughs> down for that. Like, because it's not baseball. Ben. I mean, what do you call it? Did you say like the first day of the season? Open, like, you did, did, did it tip night. off? Yep, opening night. Opening night. Oh, okay. but not day. Hmm. Mm. All right, fine. So Ben's wrong. I Just guess. hammering that home. Thank <laughs> you. Right, that's fine. Thank you, Michael. Opening night. I don't know. That makes a lot of sense. You All can right. actually go now. It was really just to make sure Ben was wrong. No, we do have questions. Um, you won the bet? Okay, good. Yeah. yeah. No, Fred Van Vliet, as mentioned. In comes Dennis Schroeder. Um, no no major additions, though. How, how different is this team, in your eyes, going to look? Uh, not just tonight, but for, for the, the entirety of this 82-game regular season. I think a little bit different. I think there's going to definitely going to be some parallels. I think you're going to see defensively, they're still going to be a pretty aggressive team. I think just based on personnel, they're going to be a pretty active team. Um, I still think Pascal Siakam is going to be the leading scorer. <laughs> um, you know, and I still think that really, in a way, the the kind of swing um, issue for them is are they going to have enough shooting to be able to kind of function in the half court? And um, so I think, like you point out, like it's not like they turned over the roster. I mean, they're pretty, they are what they are. But I think on a positive note, I think they, they have, you know, I think if you look through their exhibition games and even the statistics from those four games, uh, again, granted, you know, all the caveats, I mean, they're, they, they are playing differently. You know, there's a real effort to, to, uh, to move the ball, to move bodies, to, get different players engaged more often on the offensive end. And that doesn't mean that you're taking the ball out of, you know, your best player's hands. It just, it kind of gets to them a little later and in slightly different positions and maybe in a little bit more advantage, advantageous positions. Their assist numbers are way up. Um, and so I think all those things are positive. And I think the other thing that's pretty evident and again, you know, it's spring training. It's, uh, you know, it's preseason. It's it's all those times when, you know, you can't help but start feeling optimistic about things. Um, they're definitely, you know, no disrespect to Nick Nurse, who obviously is a pretty good uh, NBA head coach, but I think the relationship had run its course, and there definitely seems to be a kind of a freshness, and I think Darko Ryakovich, I have a feature uh that is or very soon should be up on Sportsnet today um, on him. And he's definitely a different type of leader. And I think that uh, guys who've been there for a long time are appreciating it. And so, so I think, you know, I am optimistic. I think, I think this team can be um, better than they were last year. I don't see there's any, any obvious reason why they'd be worse. And, you know, when you look at the East, you know, better could mean, you know, fifth place. That's how tight the tight the standings are likely going to be. Yeah, there has been a lot of positive buzz, uh, buzz around Coach Darko. You know, I even remember reading some of the stuff, uh, comments co- coming out of Dennis Schroeder after after the uh, the Germany win at the FIBA World Cup there, talking about how high he was on him. And then obviously for, for like you said, the players that have been here to just kind of have a, a new lease on life, a little bit of a different feel, uh, it certainly can't hurt. Uh, Pascal Siakam, he is a question mark, not so much in terms of what he will provide to the Raptors. I think there's a floor we're pretty comfortable expecting him to, to get to, and it's a high one. But the question mark, 
Clark is, just what his future is here. I mean, uh, it's a fork in the road moment. We've had them before with this franchise. I'm sure we'll have them again, but this certainly feels like a, a pretty big one. How do you expect this all to, to play out? And then I think another part of the question that, that some people maybe have trouble wrapping their, their heads around is NBA contracts. There are interesting rules regarding how much you can offer guys, when you can offer them. So does it make sense for, for either parties, Siakam or the Raptors, to do a deal in, in season as opposed to waiting for, for the end of the year? Well, I mean, I think from Siakam's point of view, if they were to come to him and offer him four years 200, which is what he could get as an extension, you know, I think he'd think long and hard about it, right? Like, I mean, that's a lot of money to be offered, um, you know, guaranteed up front uh, before you sprain an ankle or anything. So, um, you know, so uh, I think there's that. I, I think, but the most realistic scenario here is, is, you know, I think the Raptors are in a wait-and-see mode. You know, they, they want to see what he's going to look like under in a new environment. Uh, how is he going to mess with Scotty Barnes, who's clearly a foundation piece? And, you know, is it something sustainable and that you'd want to invest in? And then when it comes time to actually investing in that, you know, does it have to be at that full max number? Does it, you know, is there room for any negotiation? And what is the free agent market going to be? If Pascal Siakam hits free agency, I mean it's kind of you know it's a it's a harsh way of doing business, but I think is you know the not only does you know those rules and conditions you're referring to have gotten more restrictive and more uh, you know if you make a misstep in terms of who you're signing for how much there it's gotten even more restrictive in terms of the potential penalties and and kind of hole you can dig yourself so so I think you know that's it's a little bit of bad timing on Siakam's part, you know, just because I think it, the market has kind of shifted on him a little bit, um, not as a player, but I just think the overall NBA business model has shifted a little bit. He's still going to get paid a huge amount of money when the time comes. It's just, uh, you know, but to your point, I don't think we know if it's going to be from Toronto and, and we don't know exactly how much it's going to be. Yeah. If it's not from Toronto, and I know, you know, few teams have cap space to go out and, and sign him as a free agent. Um, although we thought the same of, of Fred Van Vliet. Um, and then Houston decided rightly to, to get away from the James Harden of it all and, and instead invested their money in Fred Van Vliet. And he departed with no return for the Raptors. And we've said this a couple of times with the Raptors that it feels like, all right, this is the season. They got to make a decision. They can't possibly go through another trade deadline kind of just going... Yeah, we'll we'll let this play out a little bit longer. Is this though finally, Michael, the the trade deadline where things come to a head with the pending free agents that we're talking about? It, Pascal and OG Ananobi. Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard to imagine. <sighs> That's a tough one. I mean, I think I think with it'll really depend on the performance of the team. And so I think if if they're really rolling along, uh, then. You know, it's in either of those guys, and likely both of those guys, if they're rolling. Um, you know, it seems pretty unlikely you'd you'd um, you'd sell on them at that point. Um, I think if the team is really struggling, then obviously all bets are off. Um, you know, but of those two, you know, I think OG Ananobi is the tricky one because um, it'd be really you know, the Raptors have the option to, to sign him to an extension. They just can't sign him to what his real market value is. And, you know, and so they're, you know, the reality is he probably goes to free agency and he is in some ways a more attractive 
player to more teams just because the role he plays. It's it's sort of like a you know he's he can plug and play into any system in the NBA really, and he he's a starter. I would argue on literally every team in the league, and so. Um, yeah, so I mean, you could be in a situation where you do have to trade OG and OB to avoid, uh, you know, coming up empty-handed for such a valuable piece. Yeah, I mean, I almost think about the if they're rolling, like if they're in a top five playoff spot in the Eastern Conferences, it's not a nightmare scenario. You want to win basketball games, live in the moment, and yeah, you can convince no, yourself. No, what way of life is that to lead the mushy middle? No. Well, but this is it, right, Michael? Because if they're rolling, wow, it would be hard to break up this core. But I mean, even in the most optimistic scenario, okay, I guess there's like a, a non-zero percentage chance that, that that Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, Scotty Barnes under Darko Royakovich, boy, can maybe squint and, and see a championship-level ceiling or maybe being one piece away. But I think we have, like, a growing sample to understand that that's not going to be the case. Like, could they be a, a, a team that looks like a well-above 500-team next season? Sure. But is that a team that even if they are a five-seed that you want to invest in the type of money in two players that you're going to have to with those players? That almost feels like a tough spot to be in if this team is rolling at the deadline. Yeah, no, it's... Um... You know, there's a kind of an they. You know, I think the way you would characterize it is, I mean, it's not like the Raptors. You know, they haven't chosen a clear path, and because they haven't chosen a clear path, either kind of double down and and pay all the money to everybody, and and you know, we're going to try and make it happen with this core, or uh, you know, break it all up, and we're going to kind of uh, try and rebuild from with draft picks and all of that. You know they've they've been treading this middle for a long time, and and not a lot of teams do that for a long time. And certainly, it doesn't always work out when they if and when they do. It, it's it's often a sign of, you know, in other markets you've looked at and going, what the hell are they doing? <laughs> you know, but I think there's right. enough credibility in this market with the organization that you go, okay, well, uh, you know, let's let's let them play this out. They've certainly earned, um, you know, the benefit of the doubt over and over again. So. Um, but yeah, but but I mean that's I guess that's a long way of saying is is you don't know exactly what the right next move is. You don't know exactly what the circumstances are um, in which they'll have to make it, and that's what's been that's what's been a very curious last couple of years here because you know the obvious uh, you know it, it, at no point have they kind of done what everyone expected them to do, and and yet you know they're here and I think they're a pretty good team. <laughs> I think they have a chance to be. I think. You know, I don't see any reason why they. I said they were worse than, worse than last year. Um, you know, and even it's funny when you look at Fred VanVleet. Well, what if they got nothing for Fred VanVleet? Technically, no, they didn't. But um, you know, because they didn't inherit contracts or this or that, they they were able to replace Fred VanVleet under the the salary cap or the luxury tax with um, you know a pretty good replacement, Dennis Schroeder at like literally a quarter of the cost and uh, you know, and Jalen McDaniels like a pretty good role player. All of a sudden their team looks a little deeper than it did. And, um, you know, as I said, you're not going to say Dennis Schroeder is as good as Fred Van Vliet, but he's better at some things that Fred Van Vliet does. And, you know, maybe that'll unlock something within the rest of the roster. So, um, yeah. So like, even you could kind of look at that point and go, okay, well, what if they had traded Fred and the offers were, you know, pretty insignificant players and pretty average draft capital. Like you weren't getting a huge return. Um, you know, maybe in the end, 
just letting your cap space work for you because you didn't sign him, maybe that works out better. So, so I don't know. <laughs> I wish I've been, I spent a lot of time talking to people and thinking about all this and, and I generally come back with, I don't know. So, uh, that was your expert insight. Well, I think I think a big reason why you don't know, and I mean, just because you don't know something, or I should say just because I don't know something doesn't mean you don't know something. But I also don't know about this Raptors team. And I keep coming back to, and I don't want to put this all on one player, especially a young one, but how much of it is that we don't know what Scotty Barnes is? You know, I have had a lot of criticisms of Pascal Siakam as, as a player, but what I'll say about him is that we know what the floor is. And again, it's a high one. It's a borderline all-star level player. With Scotty Barnes, there is a lot of unknown about what his potential, should he be able to reach it is, and what that version of the player looks like. How much of this kind of holding pattern that the Raptors are in is them kind of to a certain degree tap dancing while they wait for Scotty Barnes to, and I don't want to say wait like it's all on him, like they can't help him along, but it's for him to define himself as a player because that's the real ceiling of this kind of Raptors group. Again, we know what Siakam is. We know what OG is. That's the guy who could change things one way or another. And it feels to me like the stasis is because of the uncertainty surrounding him. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's, that is uh, a, Perfectly sound observation. And, um, you know, I can tell you that they organizationally remain all in on Scotty Barnes. Like, they really think that he is going to be the player they kind of hope and want and hope and want and need him to be. Um, you know, what, and, what and is that, Grange? What do you think I, 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 when they, they close they, their eyes like and an envision? Like a, <laughs> like a top 20, top 10, top 15 player, all star, yeah. potential all NBA player. I mean, Darko Rakovic, you know, called him and said yesterday he thinks he can be defensive player of the year, <laughs> you know, one of these years. And and that's something I hadn't quite, uh, you know, I'm like, that caught my ears. I was like, really? <laughs> you know, not based on the defense he played last year. But, um, you know, so they're very, very high on him. And, and you know, and I you look at, we've seen him at his best, and he can be, he's a very unique type of player like he's got elements of a lot of great players um but he's kind of a jack of all trade masters none in some ways like you know he does have a lot of Draymond green in him and i say that in a great way because i think Draymond's one of the great players in the league he does have some Giannis in him he does have um you know some siakam in him like he's got a lot of these qualities and when and in each of these uh, comparisons like he's a better scorer, or more athletic than Draymond Green. He's probably got a little bit more overall feel than, say, Giannis. Obviously, he's not the monster Giannis is, but he's, you know, he's he's not far off. Like if he's he's added weight, he's mm. he's a really he's a real specimen. Um, and so I think they look at all that and they go, you know, why can't this guy be the best player on an excellent team? And if he emerges as into that and he does it soon. Um, then all of a sudden, a lot of things change. All of a sudden, well, Pascal Siakam, you know, if he's your second best player, your team's pretty damn good. And if, you know, and if you're that good a team, well, you do need a guy like OG Ananobi as your kind of defensive anchor and, you know, a guy who does all the things he does. And, and then as, you know, they've kind of entertained a little bit when they got into the, the Dame Lillard conversations, you know, maybe they are just one really good player away. And, um, you know, and all those things, you know, all those arguments really do are a lot more plausible 
if Scotty Barnes is a stud, <laughs> you know, and, and he's a good player. We've certainly seen that. Um, I thought last year he was inconsistent for big chunks of the season and, you know, and whatever kind of, um, you know, behind the scenes kind of tensions there were last year and awkwardness, like I, he seemed to, he seemed to bear it. And, uh, you know, he's been given, you know, he's in, it's his team, you know, it's been said in word, it's been done in deed. Um, and, you know, if he's going to take that and run with it and, and become the player that everyone hopes he can be, it'll be a really smart gamble. If he kind of flatlines again and sort of, uh, you know, doesn't quite realize his potential, then, you know, the math around everything changes. How well positioned will the Raptors be when Joel Embiid wants out of Philly? <laughs> um, you know, the problem with all of the, those, those, <laughs> those uh, conversations are, you know, is not that well, I don't think. Yeah. Like, they, they do have a ton of draft capital, but, you know, and they do have some interesting little pieces, but they don't, they don't have the depth to, you know, they don't have that single – if you're not going to put a, you know, they they don't have that single young prospect or that single established star that they can part with and then add mm-hmm. a superstar and be really good. And uh, you know that's and that's really goes for if you're really going to unpack what's different about this team in 2023 versus where it was, you know, when they were I would say the best organization in the league for three or four years, you know, instead of maybe Golden State. Um, is they just have not developed that, that next wave of prospects. And, um, you know, and, and, and that's kind of hurt them in terms of their internal growth, and it's hurt them in terms of being uh, really, you know, a, a team that can kind of enter into these conversations and, and, and win trades. Yeah, maybe they uh, they feel a little differently about it after uh, Grady Dick goes 8 of 11 from 3 tonight. I don't know. Maybe that's what they, they need well, to happen. You know, we haven't talked about him, but there's another one, right? Like if he he really pops then again you're you're all those things matter yeah is he gonna play though like yeah i I don't know how much we can take away from these preseason games that it it felt like he was kind of a fringe rotation guy yeah and then you know and then the last of the games probably the most legitimate of the games he was outstanding so um you know i I think rakovich made an interesting comment the other day and and, you know i saw i saw grady in summer league was not all that impressed you know, I was like, what is that going And then the last game of Summer League goes off for 30, I think it was 31 points. He's, you know, he's the best player in the gym. Um, you saw him through this exhibition season. He looked pretty shaky. I would, I, I didn't look great in any of the three games. Showed a flash here or there. And then in the last game, he looks outstanding. And, and the point being is that he's a very young guy, but I'd say physically even. He's still got a lot of maturing to go. But I think intellectually and emotionally, he's, he's ready for, um, you know, being an NBA player and the, the stress and tension of it. Like, I think he's a really sound guy. And I think that it's going to, you know, so, and so I think they, they point to those examples and say, this guy learns fast. And so, again, it's one thing to do it at Summer League. It's another thing to do an exhibition play. But, you know, is he going to be – you know, the key factor against probably one of the best defensive teams in the league tonight. Uh, probably not. But, I mean, I don't think that they're looking at this and, and going, you know, I, I think they're expecting to contribute at some point. Uh, intellectually, emotionally, I'm ready for regular season basketball. 
So uh, I, I feel good about tonight. Uh, Michael, appreciate the time as always. Enjoy the game. All right, guys. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Michael Grange, Sportsnet's own. That's going to be the season uh, narrative for a lot of teams. Who's in the right spot for Joel Embiid? Yep. I mean, we've already heard it out of Philadelphia with Keith Pompey, who's as plugged into the Sixers as anybody that did. The Knicks are already lining up their pieces to get into the into the sweepstakes. That yeah, is RJ Barrett and every first round pick ever right. feels a little different than what the Raptors have to put on the table. Maybe. Right. And yeah. even that's probably an underwhelming offer for a yeah. guy that was the reigning MVP, although hasn't well, proven when, himself in the postseason. It's more when Nick Nurse turns his knee to mincemeat. That's yeah. going to be the diminished asset. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a tough one for for Nick Nurse to. Yeah. to yeah. He's gonna. We all remember the video of Joel Embiid doing like the Rocky running through the streets at three in the morning of Philly. Mm-hmm. We're going to feel very differently about it when it's Nick Nurse behind him on the bike saying, "Mush, get to mm-hmm. work." Yeah, uh, I'm very curious to see how that plays itself out. All happy now in Philly. Yeah. We'll see the first. Literally the first. Is it bump. all happy well, now no, no, in no. Philly? No, no, like. James Harden aside, uh, I, I know it's a bit of a big thing, but yeah, I, I've been reading the from what I've read out of Philly. Everyone's very kumbaya with Nick Nurse and what he's doing there. We'll see what happens when uh, the defense is and what he what he wants. It to yeah, look like. we'll see what happens when after the trade deadline, Nick Nurse, you know, signed up for a Philadelphia 76ers job that he thought would include James Harden and Joel Embiid and neither guys there. Okay, hold on. I signed up for this, and I don't get to coach Canada basketball anymore? This is terrible. Where are the Arkells? Get Max Kerman around. Yeah, he needs to talk to to John Herdman, honestly, for a better career uh, plan. Because John Herdman got out when the getting was good. All right. Uh, Time now for the Wake and Rake. Presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book. Bet local. Let's start with the Raptors game tonight. Raptors underdogs at home against the T-Wolves team that made the playoffs and then got dispatched pretty easily in the first round. T-Wolves on the road, one and a half point favorites. Uh, money line is minus 20 for the T-Wolves, plus 100 for the Raptors. The total is what I got my eye yep. on, though, Brent. Uh, 225 and a half, minus 110 on the over and the under. I, I like the under a whole Same. bunch in this basketball game. What do we know about this Raptors team from a season ago is that they have trouble shooting the ball, as Grange mm-hmm. rightly pointed out, but they are a capable defensive team, and the T-Wolves, they can play some defense as well. Like, that's, I think, early season, you're going to see a team maybe struggle to acclimatize to a different offensive strategy under Darko Royakovich. I love under 225, or two. 22 and a half. That was exactly what I was looking at as well. Not to mention the fact that everyone's on their best behavior. It's their first game of the season. Everyone's going to want to be showing out try or, or how much they can try defensively and how plugged in and mm-hmm. locked in they are with that aspect of the game. That, that was exactly where I was going there. It's the first game of the season. Timberwolves wraps. I, I could tell you five different versions that plays out, but it feels like all of them have the under there. So yeah, that's what I like in that one. Futures, as far as the Raptors are concerned, uh, to win the title, they're plus 10,000. I can't say I, I I would feel comfortable putting even one dollar on that or to win the Eastern Conference at at plus five thousand uh the Celtics plus 400 they're in action tonight as are the Milwaukee Bucks with Giannis and Dame boy to, to yeah for the Bucks not to be the overwhelming favorite uh in the Eastern Conference is, is kind of curious because it feels like that's going to be just an unstoppable force on the pick and roll that will be uh Dame Lillard will have to defend someone uh, and he'll have to do it in a round of the playoffs he's never played in uh, in his life for them to win the Eastern Conference final so that's my question about the Bucks there in terms of title odds though 
the defending champs brought pretty much everybody back. I know Nikolai Jokic hates basketball and they're going to make him play it for six months. How, how dare they? Uh, but uh, give me the nuggets plus five fifty. That feels like the best kind of, kind of value there. Yeah. Jokic plus three seventy five to win an MVP award his third in four years as he was not allowed to win three straight mm-hmm. last year. Cause that's bad, bad boy. Not allowed to do that. You have to be an all time great, which he actually is. Uh, you just can't, let's be honest. You just can't look so lumbering. You just have to be a touch more athletic. If we're going to give you three straight MVPs Dude, in that league, it's, it's, <laughs> it's going to be in his rightful possession again at the end of the season. It feels like after, you know, yeah. He, 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 it's there's no narrative surrounding him of the three straight MVPs. He just won his first title. He starts the season against the Lakers with the triple double plus three seventy five. I like it. Uh, Pascal Siakam plus twenty thousand. If you're if you're really feeling like Pascal Siakam's in the best shape of his life going into the season, I, I will say Luca at plus six hundred. If he is seen to be babysitting Kyrie Irving dutifully and still leads the Mavs to a really nice record, I, I don't hate that storyline there. Because let's be honest, this is just as much a storyline award as it is who the best player is. Hundred percent. All right, that was the Wake and Rake presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book. Bet local. Just two games remaining for the Maple Leafs on their season-high five-game road trip. They're in Dallas uh, tomorrow night before wrapping it up against the Predators on Hockey Night in Canada. We'll talk to Luke Fox, Sportsnet's Leafs reporter, next. As the Fan Morning Show continues, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.